0: There's an awful lot of apathy in this community because there's a feeling that we've got it all made and we don't have to make changes. But down the road, we're going to have to do something about transportation. We're going to have to do something about the third runway at the airport. It's going to have to go through. Otherwise, we're going to be losing ground.
1: I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, business is business. And sometimes I think that's code for, well, I have a life at home. I'm a loving father or a loving mother, and I love my kids. But when you go to work, do you can be ruthless, you can not be upfront and then you come home and you're a loving father or a mother again. What's your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, well I mean integrity is, is absolutely one of my my top core values is paramount to me. and so I want to operate in my life, across the board in total integrity. And I mean, I just don't think there's any other way to do it.
3: You can't watch a day of cable news anymore without seeing prominent historians telling us, calm down, America has survived bad times. And we have the Civil War, the Depression, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, disco. (laughs) But trust me, my historian friends, I've read your books on American history and this guy ain't in any of them.
1: Virgil Fazio, Amber Lillistrom, and Bill Maher. Virgil was the former publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Amber Lillistrom is a national leader in helping, particularly women, achieve their goals. And Bill Maher on Why You Must Vote in This Election. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. We have another great lineup of guests today. The first is Virgil Fazio publisher of the Seattle P.I. for 15 years. In addition to his duties as publisher of a major newspaper, he was also a tireless civic booster of Seattle. Not everybody agreed with this approach, but he really did love this place and wanted the world to know how special it was and is. I say was because I did this interview with him 20 years ago. I asked him at the time, what did he think about the future of newspapers? Virgil Fazio also led the PI to a joint operating agreement with the Seattle Times, which was unheard of in those days. Amber Lilliestrom, founder of Mastermind, will talk about stepping up to the next level in ways that you can achieve your goals. If you have been listening to this show for any length of time, you know I am a big fan of Bill Maher and that I often play clips from his show real time. Today, no exception. He shares some thoughts on how important it is to vote in this election, especially if you are a millennial. My wife and I traveled to England recently and took a side trip to Liverpool. If you are a Beatles fan, I highly recommend it. Remember Strawberry Fields, written and sung by John Lennon? I learned a very interesting fact about one of the lyrics that I will share with you later in the show. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. If you want to give me a call about anything, my phone number is 206-459-5536. 206-459-5536. Back with my interview with Virgil Fazio in just a moment. You're
4: listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
1: About 20 years ago, I had a show called Voices of Experience, which was on KIXI, a sister station of KKNW. And in that Profiles of Experience, I interviewed a lot of people about the state of Washington, the Seattle area, and what they were viewing as how things were going at the time. I also asked each of them what they projected for the future, like 20 years or so, and we're right now in that 20-year period. I had interviews with former Governor John Spellman, Governor Dan Evans, Seattle Mayors Wes Ullman and Charles Royer, Mountaineer Jim Whitaker and civic activist Jim Ellis. I've been playing some of those interviews over the last couple of months. Again, I asked most of the guests what did they see about Seattle in the future in the next 20 years or so. I interviewed Virgil Fazio, and he was the former publisher of the Seattle PI and was a guest on the show. We discussed the future of newspapers and also, again, the future of this area, and here's what he had to say.
5: Mr. Virgil Fazio has joined us on Profiles of Experience Mr. Fazio is the former publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer, a name that many people are familiar with in this community. And good morning, and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Good morning, Mr. Fazio. How did you become the publisher of the Seattle PI? How did it all come together?
0: Well, uh, I guess I'd have to go back to the beginning, almost. I, I'm one of those accidental uh, uh, folks in the newspaper business. I uh, my degree was in government at the University of Pittsburgh. So when I was 20 back in Pittsburgh, I started, a founded, editor, and publisher of a little. Uh, by weekly paper. And uh, then in 1950, uh, I went to work on a daily as a reporter for a couple years, and overnight, out of the blue, and it wouldn't have happened anywhere else, the publisher of this small daily decided that someday I might succeed him, and so I should become the circulation manager. And it turned out that that became the next 25 years in my newspaper career. I kept getting recruited for bigger circulation jobs uh, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, and then as circulation director of Detroit Free Press, and finally as the vice president of circulation director of the Chicago Tribune. So I was recruited by Hearst in 1976 to, to come out here as general manager.
5: Was well, there any event during your tenure as publisher, or just generally with the Seattle PI, that really sticks out in your mind that may have changed the newspaper dramatically or, or any type of event that developed where it is now
0: well I I would say that uh, the paper has made a major change in the in the view of the reader when I came to town in 76 uh, this was viewed as a uh, extremely liberal but uh, uh, writer a, a reporters paper and uh, I guess uh, along the way we made some minor course corrections but uh, in 19, late 1980 We did a complete uh, reformat of the paper and kind of changed its appearance in many ways. And to a great extent, there's been fine-tuning over these many years since to make it even better. Now that was one, and I guess I'd have to say that the other uh, significant, uh, extremely significant, was the thing that took us from being a failing newspaper into being a financially successful one. And that was the joint operating agreement that was implemented in 1983.
5: Are you optimistic that the print media, I guess more specifically daily newspapers, are going to have a strong future?
0: Well, you know, I'd have to believe that because uh, I can remember back in 50 when newspapers were still in hot metal and Linotype machines and big composing rooms and printers and hard metal engravings and the whole works. And all of that now has become digitized with the, the digital business and its computerization. And I'd say that over the years, the little black box that was always there, I think, still looms on the horizon, but uh, still in all, the newspapers uh, fulfill the role, They uh, function. They've evolved. They've met the challenges over the years, and, uh, and have kind of eased into it. It hasn't been an overnight change in any respect. You'd go to a baseball game last night, and if you saw the game and were there, you'd still want to read about it today because there are nuances of it that you're not going to get. Television doesn't do it. People are not going to sit in front of a computer all day long digging up stories. I mean, I think that uh, and the newspaper is portable. I think it's changed, obviously. there have been uh, Radio was a threat. Television was a threat. Now uh, even uh, Microsoft
5: uh, is a threat. My final question this morning, then, um, would be about Seattle and the community and uh, what we're doing today and the decisions we're making for a bright future. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I, you know, the, Seattle, the biggest problem in the Seattle area is the fact that they perceive that they do not have a problem. And uh, we, we there's, there's an awful lot of apathy in this community because there's a feeling that we've got it all made and we don't have to make changes. But down the road, we're going to have to do something about transportation. We're going to have to do something about the third runway at the airport. It's going to have to go through. Otherwise, we're going to be losing ground. There are many cities that would do anything in the world to be able to do some of the things we can do here in Seattle because they've hit the skid. And I think there has to be a real feeling that let's get rid of the process and let's get on to doing what needs to be done to make this an even greater city. Otherwise, that truck is coming down the highway and it's going to hit it. I think there's too much opposition to progress in it.
5: Well, I appreciate you sharing those comments, and I'm sure those thoughts will go to good use. We've been talking to Mr. Virgil Fazio, the former publisher of the Seattle Post Intelligencer, and thank you very much for spending time in profiles of experience. Thank you. That's Virgil Fazio, former publisher
1: of the Seattle Post Intelligencer. By the way, uh, Mr. Fazio passed away this past September at the age of 91. following is Bill Maher, who is the host of HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher. This segment is at the end of the show, and it's called New Rules. This is an edited version, but it goes to the heart of what he's trying to say. I hope all the millennials and every voter will take heart to what Bill had to say.
3: And finally, new historians have to stop telling us everything's going to be okay, because we've been here before. With all due respect, we haven't you can't watch a day of cable news anymore without seeing prominent historians telling us calm down america has survived bad times and we have the civil war the depression pearl harbor 9 11 disco (laughs) but trust me my historian friends i've read your books on american history and this guy ain't in any of them George W. Bush was a walking disaster area, but he believed in democracy, so much so he tried to export it to Iraq. Whereas Trump believes in oligarchy so much he's trying to import it from Russia. Yes, previous presidents declared war, but never on reality. Stop trying to calm us down right now. You know when it's okay to yell fire in a theater? When it's on fire. This attitude that America's like a cat, it always lands on its feet, I don't buy it. Was incivility bad in other times in our history? I'm sure it was. I've heard the anecdotes. I know that during a brawl in the House chamber in 1798, Congressman Matthew Lyon of Vermont tried to beat roger griswold of connecticut with a pair of iron tongs i don't give get <laughs> this isn't two gentlemen slapping each other in the face with gloves this is a slow moving coup this is the head of the federal government calling the american citizens that make up the free press the enemy of the people and that's why on our final show before the election I want to talk directly to the Millennials and to generation Instagram or whatever they're calling you <laughs> we need you yeah. we need you like you need your anti-anxiety meds <laughs> not to protest or to post something we need you to actually vote because historically you are the least likely to i get it you're young and young people aren't big on planning for the future that's why we have laser tattoo removal (laughs) but we need you to turn out in unprecedented numbers and we know you can look at the march for our lives that's that's how you should approach voting this year as a march for your life it's your future not mine but to paraphrase the farmers insurance guy I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two <laughs> And to paraphrase the Allstate guy, you're not in good
0: hands.
3: (laughs) Getting this moment wrong and not participating will be just like your student loan debt. It will haunt you for the rest of your life. Getting this moment wrong, you can say goodbye to reproductive rights, to legalized pot, possibly to gay marriage, and definitely to what's left of the environment. If Trump wins, he will cast it as a complete endorsement of his most undemocratic behavior. If you're 18 and that happens, you stand a very real chance of not living in a Western-style democracy for part or all of your life. Yes, it can happen here.
1: That's Bill Maher from HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher from his segment, New Rules.
4: You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word.
1: Amber Lillistrom, founder of a program called mastermind that is directed primarily towards women to help them achieve their goals has joined us. I went on Google and looked up Amber and was very interested in her background and what she has achieved. She may not like this characterization, but uh, I think in many ways you sum up Amber by saying that she is the female version of Tony Robbins. Matter of fact, she refers to him later in the interview. But first, her motto is Soul Fuel for Life and Business. I asked her to define that.
2: It means simply to connect the deepest part of yourself, your, your dreams, your desires, the sort of golden thread that's been pulling you forth on your journey in your life, those little whispers when maybe something isn't quite working in a career or relationship or whatever, and just really tapping into that deeper knowing and weaving that into your career path and having the courage to make the change and to take the inspired action to lead you down a path that's going to be of greater service to the world.
1: And how did that journey happen for you?
2: So I was working in collegiate athletics for a decade and I absolutely loved my career. I was working at my alma mater at the University of New Hampshire. I was the associate athletic director for marketing and strategic initiatives there and was involved in all kinds of things on campus and obviously in our athletic department and actually with an organization uh, that really connected the professional development of all professional um athletic administrators in in the nation. And so I had a very, you know, significant role in the industry, and I loved what I was doing. And then I became a mom. And um, for anyone who is a parent, you can certainly understand that uh, life changes dramatically. And I knew very quickly that I did not want to be away from my daughter, uh, the amount of time that my job was going to require me to be. And also, I had had this deep knowing that speaking and writing and coaching and teaching uh, on a deeper level was something I really wanted to step into. So it was a great opportunity for me to do soul searching on maternity leave. It was the first time in my life I actually stopped working. So it took some time, but eight months after uh, my daughter was born, I launched my business, uh, brand strategy, brand coaching, business coaching, and helping female entrepreneurs, to really bring more of who they are into their lives and into their businesses and careers.
1: I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, business is business. And sometimes I think that's code for, well, I have a life at home. I'm a loving father or a loving mother, and I love my kids. But when you go to work, you can be ruthless, you can not be upfront, and then you come home and you're a loving father or a mother again. What's your thoughts on that?
2: yeah well, I mean integrity is is absolutely one of my my top core values is paramount to me. And so I want to operate in my life across the board in total integrity. And I mean, I, I just don't think there's any other way to do it. and And the truth is is I've crafted a business that is really it's me. I mean, I'm a personal brand, and if you go on my Instagram, you're gonna see my family, you're gonna see, you know, just me living at my house here on the lake. Um, I'm sitting in my office right now at home and my husband now works in the company with me. He's here too. My daughter's at preschool down the street. I can't really separate it. It's all one and it's it's ultimately what I really wanted to create.
1: In my last book, I talked about is self-employment for you and the subtitle was basically anyone can start a business, but only a few can sustain a business. How do you sustain your business?
2: I don't think there's any other option. You know, I've been so called to this work and to to share myself in this particular way and to share my passion and what I uh, have been guided to on my journey. So there's no fear there. I'm not sitting in the seat saying, oh, man, I hope that we survive. I hope we, you know, I just I see it as an opportunity to continue, continue to expand. And I mean that from a business perspective but also a personal development perspective. I'm constantly, constantly working on trying to uh, be a better human, to be more compassionate.
1: Why do you think most businesses do fail?
2: I think one is that they try to do it the way someone else is doing it. And they they literally try to rinse and repeat a formula for someone else's brand success. And the reason that doesn't work is because you can't be anyone other than you and when and what lives beneath that is a lack of confidence and a lack of self-belief and i think ultimately culturally in our country and worldwide we have a self you know appreciation problem i'm going to use the word self-love but that might be a little too you know fluffy for your audience so but it's a it's really about like self confidence and really stepping into what it is you want to do without looking over your shoulder and saying is this right should I be doing this it's like you think about the people who are the most successful they're the ones who just they're kind of you think they're crazy and they just go for it because they're they're passionate and they're excited and they know that they can make a big impact
1: who is a great mentor of yours or mentors
2: I've been a huge fan and student of Tony Robbins, and I've learned from him over, I don't know, I would say probably the last decade. I've gone to a few of his events, and more than what he's saying, you know, he says incredible things, And but it's just the way that he approaches life with the energy, and that as you can see, he's just he's just grown so much. I mean, he's been in business for like almost 40 years, and so he's someone that has really put a huge stamp on the whole personal development field and created what he's created.
5: Excellent. And
1: uh, final question. You say a lot about uh, you help people get out of their way. Could you define that further?
2: I help people get out of their own way, get out of that the pattern of indecision and uncertainty because you can't go anywhere with that. You, you're you just going to be stuck trying to figure out what it is, what, what's next, essentially. And you could spend a lifetime doing that. And so really, I, I believe that uh, my work is really about holding up a mirror to people to show them what's really there and to show them what's possible and to help them connect into the part of themselves that knows that they're ready to take the next step but has just been a little bit too scared. And that's the magic of having a mentor. That's the magic of having somebody who's gone down the path already and has achieved the success that you desire.
1: That's Amber Lillystrom. Visit amberlilliestrom.com to find out more about her and her services. You can also listen to her podcast on iTunes. And that's Amber, L-I-L-Y-E-S-T-R-O-M.com. AmberLilyStrom.com. We are out of time for today's show for Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, our host and producer. If you would like to listen to any show for the last year and a half, all you need to do is Google KKNW, then click through to Archives. At the bottom of the page, click on to Voices of Experience, and you have arrived. You can listen to past interviews that include former NPR's All Things Considered host, Robert Siegel, Another couple of shows I did on homelessness several weeks ago, which included a visit to the Bread of Life mission in Seattle's Pioneer Square, Chicken Soup for the Soul author and entrepreneur, Mark Victor Hansen. So there's a lot of interviews you can listen to on Voices of Experience. Again, my name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. Before I go, I just wanted to comment that my wife and I visited England recently, a delightful trip. But one of the highlights of the trip, in addition to seeing the Seahawks play and win decisively at Wembley, was visiting Liverpool, the birthplace of the Beatles and their music. I'm not very religious, but I assume when someone is secular, it is like visiting the shrine of their mosque or whatever, their church. And I got the same feeling visiting Liverpool, where the Beatles grew up, they met, and they wrote their music. Went to Penny Lane, then went to the church where Eleanor Rigby and her family is buried and the real inspiration for that song. Saw Strawberry Fields, and then uh, saw where Paul McCartney was recently picked up by James Corden for the karaoke tour. Was able to visit where Ringo and George were born. Interesting, it seemed to me that John Lennon was the most wealthy of the bunch, and probably Ringo was the poorest, with George and Paul in between. We were able to stay at the Hard Day's Night Hotel. It's a very old hotel, but it has been renovated and has a really delightful staff. I highly recommend that if you ever do this to take the cab tour. It's about 50 pounds, about $70 American, but it's a four-hour ride and it was well worth it. I didn't do the bus tour, so I can't comment on that, but I don't see how you can go wrong with the uh, cab tour. There's a connectivity you make. The driver, at least ours, uh, Dave T, was very, very knowledgeable about the Beatles, and that really helped. And he knew, again, all the right places to go. And uh, Liverpool, in and of itself, is very impressive in its own right, even if the Beatles didn't grow up there. Much bigger than I thought, and had fabulous great old mansions. There is a very interesting history to Liverpool that I really wasn't aware of. Now, I have always liked the song Strawberry Fields, written and sung by John Lennon. John sings the lyrics, and nothing to get hung about in that song. I never gave it a lot of thought about the passage. Was he just hanging around somewhere? Maybe it had something to do with drugs. I didn't know. I just liked the beat of the song and how it flowed, so I didn't really give it again much thought. John spent most of his early years growing up in a home with his Aunt Mimi that adjoined Strawberry Fields. This is a place where he could let his imagination run wild, and really dream about his life ahead. So this was very important to him, obviously. Now, just for a quick side story. During the 1950s, when ships came into Liverpool, they would sometimes run aground and because of serious storms or for whatever reason, but uh, oftentimes the cargo would spill over into the harbor, and the people of Liverpool would go out there and kind of help themselves to the goods. It got so bad that, A law was passed in Liverpool that stated if you were caught stealing cargo, you could be hung. Now back to Strawberry Fields. On one particular evening, John stayed in the park after hours, and it was closed. The police ran him down and took him home to Aunt Mimi. The police were so outraged at John's behavior. John's aunt was kind of taken back by the police's behavior. Why they were so upset at this? She just shrugged, and then she said simply, This is nothing to get hung about. And that is why you hear that passage in the song. Let
5: me take you down because I'm going to Strawberry Field. Nothing is real. Nothing to get hung about. Strawberry feels forever. Strawberry feels forever. Forever